Hi, I'm Amanda Kors. Welcome to Just Sustainability's special feature on socially engaged philosophy at the intersection of sustainability and social justice. In the next installment of the series, I spoke with Dr. Eugene Chislenko, Assistant Professor of Philosophy at Temple University in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. His main interests are in ethics and moral psychology, and in related topics in the philosophy of mind, philosophy of action, aesthetics, and in the history of philosophy. He founded Philosophers for Sustainability with Rebecca Milsop in 2019. Good morning. Welcome. Thank you for joining me for this special feature on the Just Sustainability podcast. So I'm really excited to have the chance to talk with you because I feel like we've sort of crossed paths a couple of times. We've had conversations here and there. We're starting to get things going and and there's a lot of momentum building up around Philosophers for Sustainability. So it's really it's an exciting time to talk with you and to hear more about you and what the group is doing. And uh so yeah. Me too. And thank you so much for having me. It's yeah, of course. Here. Yeah. So I thought maybe if you'd like to start us off by just saying a bit about who you are and how Philosophers for Sustainability came into being. Sure. Um, so my name is Eugene Chislenko. I'm a, a young-ish philosophy professor in Philadelphia at Temple University. Um, and I'm one of the founders of Philosophers for Sustainability with my good friend, Rebecca Millsap. She's in Rhode Island. Um, I do not have an environmental background. So I, mm-hmm. I do ethics and moral psychology, but I never did environmental stuff, was, was not really that into it. Um, and I started doing some climate activism on the side, completely separately from yeah. philosophy. I was working with the Sunrise Movement, which for people who don't know, is a youth movement in the US um, that's working to stop climate change and create good jobs in the process. Um, they're amazing. They're so bold and, and <laughs> so great to be around. And I love them. I still love them. Um, so I was pretty happy. I was just kind of doing those two things separately. Yeah. Um, and it, it sort of works. Uh, but then they keep saying this thing, all the young activists and all the indigenous activists and, and just so many people keep saying this one thing, which is organize your networks. That, yeah. Uh, yeah, that that individual consumption matters and how we relate to plastic bottles and AC matters. But really, the biggest thing that we need to do is uh, tap into the networks of people that we have and organize sure. the people around us around uh, collective action and building a climate movement and, you know, whatever piece of it we can. Mm-hmm. And I thought, OK, great. That sounds like a good message. Let me help deliver that message. And I'm like, wait a minute. Uh, what are my networks? Yeah, I think about absolutely. Yeah. My networks, right? And so you're supposed to talk to your friends and neighbors and you're supposed to talk to people at work. Um, and sort of slowly dawned on me, I was kind of like, what am I a member of? What are, what mm-hmm. are my networks? And mm-hmm. at some point I, th- I thought, well, nothing. I don't know. Do I have that many friends? Do I have that many, <laughs> oh. <laughs> many communities? I don't know. Um, uh, but I thought, well, I am a member of the American Philosophical Association. That's an institution. Sure, yeah. um, that sort of thing. So I started thinking about that a little more and still kind of vaguely. And um, and then I had lunch with my friend Rebecca at um, an APA yeah. conference, the American Philosophical Association. And we hung out and we caught up and, um, t- you know, talked about uh, being vegan and talked about how there wasn't that much on sustainability and climate at these huge philosophy conferences. Yeah. And so we thought, well, should we try to do something to organize this network? Um, and so basically we came up with the thought of 
trying to lobby the APA to put together some sort of committee or task force. They've been doing, they've been putting together so many good committees and task forces on a lot of important issues, and we didn't mm-hmm. get much on sustainability. So we thought, well, let's get a couple people to, to write to them. And then we kind of thought, well, we know how you're supposed to do this. You're supposed to start small, but then go big and get more people. Um, so that's kind of how we started thinking about forming a group. We got on some blogs and we gave it a name, which is Philosophers for Sustainability. We wanted yeah. to be for something rather than against something. Sure, um, yeah. And we kind of picked up from there. I mean, that there's, there's a lot to say since then, but that's kind of how it started. We wanted to do an advocacy project and also have some space for informal discussion and see how much we could build. Yeah, no, that's really great to hear. I've heard you use this phrase, organize your networks. And I always wonder, like, what exactly does that mean? What does it mean to organize a network? What does it mean to be a part of a network? And that sums it up really nicely for me. It's like, okay, it's the groups that you're, you know, the the sort of interactions with people that you're already having, the, you know, memberships, if it's official in some formal capacity or not. But it can be as simple as, like, your group of friends, you know, that that's a network that you're a part of. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't have to be at work. It can be, it can be your friends you hang out with yeah i talk to my students and other people and it's like you know if you're in an acapella group can you get them to sing a song about climate change oh that's whatever, whatever it that. is yeah <laughs> that's great yeah um yeah that's fantastic to hear and so you know i guess the starting point has been it seems like to me has been working with the apa and as a formal organization and thinking about how um you know, we can start talking about uh, sustainable practices in philosophy through that, but but it's much more than that, right? You have sort of advocacy groups and you have different sort of, you know, the workshop series. And so there's a lot going on um, beyond that initial project. Um, and uh, yeah, if you want to say a bit more about all the other, all the other exciting things that are going on that the group is putting together, that'd be great to hear about. Sure. I'd love to. Um, I think the, the approach that we've taken basically is to try to combine um, informal discussion with focused advocacy projects. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we think it works really well to do both. So if you just do advocacy, then you don't have much community. Um, there's not as much space for people to just kind of think through what they want to do locally um, build relationships and so on. But if yeah. you just have the discussions, then um, sometimes there's a feeling that they're not really going anywhere and let's, let's actually get some results. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if but doing both seems to work really well. And so we've been trying to do both. Um, so on the informal discussion side, um, we've been trying to come up with various ways to hold events on sustainability for philosophers in any aspect that is useful to people. So in, in teaching, in advocacy, in writing, um, sustainability and racial justice, uh, e-conferencing, food events, all those, all those kinds of things. So we have a monthly forum series that's on Zoom that we do for our network. Um, we also did a three-day conference last June, which uh, was really good. I love that conference. Yeah. Um, I organized yeah. that with Simona Capisani. Um, so that was bringing together philosophers and organizers and, advoc- and at, uh, activists to think about sustainability in a philosophical way, but also to work on shifting our profession. Um, So we've got the forum series, we've got the conference. Um, We are putting together a series of local workshops that there's a tab on our website um, that you're part of this. Um, These are local workshops that anyone can lead. So we're trying to get uh, a kind of structure in place that people can do locally in their own departments. Um, And we have a blog series on the blog of the APA now called Climate Matters that people are contributing to. So that's all, that's all the, um, yeah, thanks. That's all the informal discussion side. 
And then on the advocacy side, we also have a few things going on. So the, the first thing was what I just mentioned. Um, what that evolved into was a focus on the APA's um, Good Practices Guide, which is mm-hmm. a, a set of guidelines for philosophers um, on, again, lots of different things, from diversity and inclusion to good interview practices to don't have all your events happen in a bar um, <laughs> to mental health and so on. And um, we sort of through some informal discussion came to think that that would be a good place to focus since those are our main professional guidelines that we have, um, yeah. at, least, at least in the U.S. Um, and so we did an advocacy project to encourage the APA, uh, I don't know what the word is, not really demand, but encourage <laughs> lobby the APA um, to add something on sustainability to that um, and as it gradually became clear to both sides that we're this is not an adversarial relationship and that there's a lot we can do together, the APA got more interested. They said, could you write them? Could you draft mm-hmm. the guidelines? And so we oh, yeah. did a collective kind of collaborative project with expertise in different areas um, to write a section, which is now in the in the guidelines. So that was, that was our first success. We got our main professional guidelines from nothing to pretty bold on yeah. sustainable practices. Absolutely. We're very, very excited about that. Um, that was the first one. We have uh, a handful of smaller advocacy teams that does its own series of projects. So we have we had a team that was supporting climate strikes and helping okay, student, yeah. students recruit on campus for those. Um, and we have a very active um, events e-conferencing team that's been thinking mm-hmm. about things. And the the current project coming out of that is to encourage the APA and also other conferences to alternate between in-person and virtual formats. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what we settled. So it, it looks like at this point, um, I guess most of us know that in-person conferences have important benefits, but also are hugely damaging to the environment and are sure, yeah. a significant part of sinking islands and making places uninhabitable and yeah. things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a dilemma now for philosophers about just how to think about mm-hmm. how to get together. Um, and it's becoming clear that in-person is just not going to be able to continue the same way that it has. Um, Also, virtual, just doing virtual is hard and you miss things, and especially if that's all you do in a pandemic time. Um, So again, through some informal discussion, it's looking like um, there there are great hybrid options to try, but also a great thing to try is just alternating. Sure, yeah. Um, So that also, this is, yeah, it's also a big accessibility issue. There there are lots of philosophers who... um, uh, because of disabilities or also other access issues like yeah. your parenting, you don't have much money, whatever it is, um, yeah. even if you're able-bodied, have trouble getting there. Um, and so what we're advocating for now is uh, a two plus one model for APAs where there are three conferences a year, but mm-hmm. for, for other conferences, it could be some other m- model of alternating, but basically to keep something in person partly strategically because no one's going to agree to all virtual for most yeah. things at this point, um, but also to keep exploring virtual yeah. options, especially as we head out of the pandemic and everyone's not on Zoom all day. Right. Um, I think no more Zoom fatigue, hopefully. <laughs> no more or much less. Or much less, yeah. I hope so. So that's, so that's that's a lot of what we're focusing on now is getting people to um, institutionally take some of these bigger, uh, much more carbon-intensive uh, activities yeah. Um, and figure kind of keep working on figuring out ways to make virtual options workable, at least partially in alternation. Yeah, no, exactly. I think that's an important point is that it, we're really exploring the space. I mean, we all got forced online last year and had to figure it out in real time. But that's 
sort of the thing I think that's important to keep in mind moving forward is we just have to try different things and see what works. And there are going to be benefits to some things and, you know, downsides certainly, but it's just a matter of exploring that and uh, getting people to talk about it, right? Like having these conversations about how we want to move forward as a profession and, and seeing what works and, you know, finding a solution that is maybe not ideal, you know, but nothing is ever ideal. And of course there are downsides to in-person things and, um, and that's okay, you know, just sort of exploring that and figuring out uh, a good solution moving forward. I think that's right. And, and, you know, a lot of people say, oh God, I hate, I hate these virtual events. <laughs> I, I, I'm here for informal interaction. I can't get that at all. This yeah. is fatiguing. It's boring. I have technical difficulties. It's horrible. Um, and I hear that. And I think that is significant. So we're, we're, I think it's important not to underplay the benefits of in-person yeah. interaction. Um, but I think there are also really important things that we also forget on the other side. I mean, one is just how yeah. much damage um, the in-person events do. If there's a yeah. real emergency, you know, if, if someone breaks their leg next to you, you can't just say, well, it's, but I'm having so much benefit from the informal interaction I'm in the middle yeah. of. Um, so that's one thing. But also, I mean, I, what I like to, to think about here is like, you know, have you been to the first year ever of in-person conferences? Right. Imagine how, how horrible they must have been yeah. and how little good opportunity there was for informal interaction and for anything good, but we figure things out over time. And exactly, yeah. part of what's coming out of these uh, hybrid and alternating pushes is people are figuring out how to yeah. recreate informal interaction and even um, find opportunities that you can't have in person. Like, you know, the Zoom chat, can be awful, but can Absolutely, also be, yeah. I mean, when it goes well, people drop so many resources in there that you get more in 90 minutes than you might from a whole oh, absolutely, week, weekend. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's right. I think we're, I think we're exploring and we're, we're trying to find ways to make it good. And there's a lot of good reason to, to work on that. Yeah, no, I mean, I've definitely had really great experiences in virtual events that I don't think would have happened in person, just in virtue of, you know, being in front of people, everybody's looking at each other because we have to on the Zoom screen, right? Like everyone is facing forward, everyone has their name on there, so you know who everyone is. And there's this sort of different sense of community, I think, that that online events offer in, in a way that maybe people haven't really thought too much about yet because we've been focusing so much on like how terrible it is to have to do everything online, <laughs> which is, which is fine, you know, but again, as we're talking about, um, you know, we are starting to move, move out of having to do everything online. And so I think, you know, it's really important for people to share those experiences and say like, here's something that worked really well for me. And here's something that, you know, we had a really great online event and everyone felt really good about it. And, you know, like you mentioned, um, just those little extra features that you wouldn't get in person, like getting to share links to in the Zoom chat. And I've even had conversations, you know, mid, uh, mid conference where, people are like really excited about a particular idea and they're like, okay, let's everybody put your email address and we'll get together and we'll have a conversation yeah, about this. Exactly. Like, that's so cool. And that would never happen in the middle of somebody's talk in real life. You know, like that would just be bizarre and also maybe rude. But so, <laughs> uh, so you know, it's like, I think it's things like that that we need to focus on. I think like even beyond the, the climate benefits, like there are good reasons to continue doing these things. And we just have to, talk about it and explore it and, and figure it out. You know? I, and I, and yeah. And I think it will get vastly easier when, yeah. when we're back to doing almost everything in person. I think yeah. it's sort of hard to imagine that now yeah. <laughs> in, in a funny way, but when, when everything's in person, uh, being on, being on zoom for a day or two, um, 
every couple of months or something for a conference is, is not going to be that draining. Right. Um, it's, it is tempting to just kind of be naive about it and say, this is going to be the best for everyone pretty soon. And yeah. I think, you know, I think it is important that it's, it doesn't work for some people. Yeah. Uh, some people have access needs that, that they really have trouble meeting virtually, uh, or just kind of just can't connect that way. Um, but, but the, on the other hand, in person really doesn't work for some people yeah. too. Um, yeah. And that's why you alternate. You alternate yeah. for, for climate reasons, but also, you know, some people can't do Zoom. Some people can't get to the in-person one. And that's why you find some kind of balance where you can offer the opportunity to everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And that alternating really kind of gets the best of both worlds, right? Because then you get people have the opportunity to participate online for those who are more comfortable with that. People get the opportunity to participate in person. And, um, and uh, so, yeah, no, I think it's a, it's an exciting way forward. Um, yeah. So, so I, I wanted to talk a bit about what philosophers specifically can contribute. If, if you have any ideas on what philosophers can specifically contribute to sustainability and social justice questions. Um, and I know you have a little, I, I've seen some, some thoughts on this from you with regard to the, um, the workshop uh, on sustainable practices, but I'm interested if you have any thoughts on what it, what, maybe not uniquely, but like what, philosophers are maybe especially good at that makes us good advocates for for sustainability moving forward yeah um i can i can try to give a short answer i have a longer answer um <laughs> in in a paper called the role of philosophers in climate change Aha, which yeah. is, it's on my website and it's it's coming out in the journal of the apa Great, um, yeah. sometime in 2022 um so that's people can find a longer answer there i think the short answer the shortest answer is our skills that's what we can mm. contribute um, I think mainly, um, what are they? Uh, some of them are argumentative skills, right? So mm -hmm. we are, we have a lot of training in offering arguments. Um, and so in a lot of contexts, we can come up with good arguments for taking sustainable options in different places, right? Um, I actually think that's a little bit overemphasized. I think there's a way that we think of kind of all we do being producing arguments, argument mm -hmm. production. Um, I'm actually... As interested in, as I am in our argumentative and writing and lecturing skills, I'm I'm especially interested in our TA skills. Mm. Um, so we we have a lot of training in facilitating discussion and getting people to talk. Yeah. Um, and in in climate context, in my experience, most people need to talk more than they need to listen. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of them know the arguments already. Yeah. They need to talk about you know what what their resistance is, um, what they're scared about. They need to talk about their families. They need to talk about the ethical and political and conceptual and scientific issues. Um, so I'm actually really interested in us as facilitators. Um, and mm. that's part of why I'm interested in workshops and interactive forums and, and things like that. I think we need to, people need to talk to each other. And it's not, I don't, I don't know, to, you know, to what extent I'd say that's narrowly philosophical, but I don't think it really matters which, which skills are skills that no one else has. Yeah. I think what's more important is that we have them. Um, so that's, that's some of it. Um, and that comes up in a lot of areas that comes up in organizing any network that we might be part of. Um, I did a series of climate conversations in homes mm. and places of worship, um, right oh, okay. before the pandemic yeah. for, for 350. And I was surprised at how easy it was to go in and basically teach a discussion section, right? Yeah, with, with, that's really with small cool. changes and you just yeah. kind of do that anywhere and people really appreciate it and really get something out of it. And in some cases yeah. start a group and, um, 
So I think that's really helpful. Um, the actually the I think guidelines the, so the the good practices guide on sustainability I think is a really good place to go for this. Mm-hmm. Um, we sometimes think of guidelines as like rules that you will be policed on and you are bad unsustainable person if you don't follow them. Um, but really, what they are is some systematic brainstorming that's been done for you that you can yeah. turn into practice or, or policy if you choose to as an individual or as a department. Um, so I, I think actually the headings there are, are, are really good to think about. So there's like food and events and things like that. And what do you order for colloquia? So that kind of institutional thing mm-hmm. um, can actually be pretty significant too. If you order 500 beef sandwiches in a year, you might switch to something else. Yeah. Please switch to anything else. Um, and that's that's significant. Um, but then also teaching is really significant. Sure, um, yeah. If you th- uh, this, I think this also ties into, you know, is it really our job to be doing this at all? Shouldn't we be doing our mm. jobs and leaving sustainability advocacy to somebody else? Um, well, if you look at the mission statement of wherever you work, um, it mm. probably has in it uh, preparing generations of young people for leadership yeah. in the challenges of contemporary society. Right? There you go. Yeah. Um, and how are you going to do that? If you're not thinking about um, how this uh, huge defining issue um, that affects everything is going to affect them and it's going yeah. to affect the issues in your classes. So that's a big part of it. We teach millions of people um, every year. And so I think another big thing is just uh, beyond even adding um, classes on climate or sustainability, integrating. Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. if, you ha- if you teach a social epistemology course and you're like me and you don't do climate as a philosopher... Um, you can put in a week or two on, on climate denial, which is just mm-hmm. so fascinating um, and such a great illustration uh, of so many of the big issues and also likely to help you show the relevance of philosophy and to recruit majors and so on. It's just such a win, 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 win to do that. Um, so I'm really interested in integrating climate and sustainability into teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of working it into courses, working it into curricula, and also writing too, of course, although that takes longer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's some yeah. of it, but, but the Good Practices Guide has, I think, some really good suggestions in a bunch of areas. Yeah, no, there's so many great ideas there. No, and I really love that idea of incorporating sustainability issues into any course, any course you're talking about, because it is, I mean, it is a contemporary issue, right? It's in the same way that we talk about um any contemporary issue within our courses. It's not just like a matter of like throwing sustainability in there. Cause it's like, here's something I really care about. It's, it's here's something that's impacting us all, especially impacting our students. Right. And they need to, I think it's really important for them to have that space to talk about how they're feeling and what they're thinking, you know, um, and providing ways to address that in the classroom, I think is a really effective way of doing it. And they are thinking about it. And they are, yeah. I mean, that there's pretty clear evidence in studies and polls and things that this is a big priority for them. Sure. And they're, they're angry or in denial or, or grieving scared. Or, or, <laughs> yeah. or scared or all of the above. All of the above, um, yeah. And so I think they can really use chances to, to, to think and, and write more about about these kind of issues. My yeah. my favorite book on climate change is This Changes Everything by Naomi mm-hmm. Klein. Mm-hmm. That's that's what really got me started. I, I love Naomi Klein um, and I love that book. And uh, apart from loving the book, I love the title. This really does change everything. Yeah. Um, and it, it ruins a lot of things and has already ruined a lot of things. And that's going to uh, scale up um, yeah. over time, but hopefully less than, than the maximum. Yeah. Um, but the... The bright side of that is that you can address it 
almost anywhere. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's already transformed a lot of what we're thinking about. And so uh, plugging, plugging sustainability into things, I think is the easy part. If you just kind yeah. of decide that you're going to put some energy into the issue, um, there is low hanging fruit everywhere. So I think yeah. that that's, it's actually really easy to find ways to plug it in. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, just in conversations I've had with people, you know, just providing kind of scaffolding for people to start thinking about these issues more. So for example, like, you know, you, you mentioned, um, uh, food and events and things like that, right. It might just be a matter of, um, you know, you being the person to say like, Hey, here, here are the, <laughs> well, the resources at the university that you work, um, for, you know, having, um, zero waste composting options for events and, you know, ordering, um, more sustainable food options and things like that. Like, so just having, um, having those conversations where people are, you know, acknowledging here are the changes that we could just start thinking about and they're easy changes to make, you know, like not ordering 500 beef sandwiches, which I feel like the, the, like, especially like roast beef sandwiches, those are always the ones that are left over. Like nobody wants to eat roast beef sandwiches anymore. Like people always, people like the vegetarian options. It's true. Uh, So, um, you know, but it's things as simple as that. Right. But just like, there isn't really, I guess it might come up in like faculty meetings or like particular committees or something, but there isn't really that dedicated space to start, you know, really investigating what our options are there. And so I think, you know, just um, using the guidelines as a starting place and saying, oh, okay, here are the things we could be thinking about in terms of easy changes to make a little, you know, things that are a little bit more tricky. Um, So for example, I was just speaking with my department about how um, carbon offsets and if research funds could mm-hmm. be used um, t- for carbon offsets, yeah. that's something that they were going to go to the higher powers to see if that was a possibility. Yeah, that's great. Right. So, um, but it's like, you know, it, it doesn't, you, you can start small, right? It isn't like, okay, everyone stop flying immediately. <laughs> and like every, everyone change every aspect of your lifestyle immediately. Um, I think people get really overwhelmed quickly with a lot of suggestions because it does feel like oh god like i should be doing all of these things right Mm -hmm. um but it doesn't have to be that as it can be just as simple as like okay let's let's start with these simple steps like you mentioned you know incorporating sustainability issues into your existing courses not even having to create new courses necessarily but just finding ways to make those get those simple you know, first steps going and then it builds up momentum from there because people are thinking about it and they're thinking like, oh, okay, I can do this and I am making a difference in doing this. What's next, you know? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And um, some, sometimes people feel like, you know, this is so complicated. There's no formula for this and, yeah. and so on. And I, I'm kind of like, yes, there is. There is a formula. <laughs> Here's the formula. Um, <laughs> pick, pick something doable that you want to try. Find mm-hmm. one person that you like that you want to talk through it with, yeah. um, just start and then see how much you can scale up from there. Right. Um, nothing's going to be huge instantly, but yeah. some things will take off, uh, bigger and faster than you had hoped and other things won't. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's the nature of it. 
In the first half of our conversation, Eugene and I talked about how Philosophers for Sustainability got started, some of the activities and events that the group has initiated, and how we saw philosophers facilitating conversations about the climate crisis. Stay tuned for the next half of our conversation, where we continue discussing making an impact, a real impact, in our communities, and how to deal with climate emotions such as climate anxiety, grief, denial, and hope. Thank you for listening to Just Sustainability. If you've enjoyed what you heard, please support this podcast by subscribing and leaving a review. Just Sustainability is recorded with the support of the Institute in the Environment at the University of Minnesota. In particular, I want to thank Peter Levin and Beth Mercer-Taylor for all their help with this show. All the music on Just Sustainability is composed and recorded by Clifton Nesseth, and all the artwork was created by Kristen Nesseth. Thank you again for listening.